0: The race is on and finally it was on for real with a dramatic Austrian Grand Prix won by Valtteri Bottas. It was a race weekend of dramatic on-track action, interest, technical intrigue, controversy, clashes, protests, all the drama we expect from the first race of an F1 season and although it was another Mercedes win it could easily have been one of the Red Bull drivers that triumphed. I'm Ed Straw and joining me to review the Austrian Grand Prix are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Mark, You were our representative on the ground in Austria while the rest of us were engaged in endless Zoom meetings and lots of messaging to people in the paddock. From afar, and the involvement we had, it seemed this closed race was a tremendous success in the circumstances. Did it feel like that where you were?
1: Yes, it did. And um, I think the remarkable thing was it just felt absolutely as normal when the race was on. It just, you didn't didn't really notice any difference and it was you were sort of brought out of that revier just at the end when you saw the three guys just standing there looking very sad and lonely on their makeshift podiums in front of an empty grandstand that sort of broke the spell but up you know from the the build-up to the race right to the checkered flag and all the all the drama in between it was it was a great grand prix um and it, it the Incredible achievement, really, given given the circumstances, and it was it was such a nice, happy way to get it started. And it was
0: worth going through the slightly invasive COVID nineteen testing.
1: Well, I haven't finished with that yet. I've got several more of those to do before I am um, home, because I'm staying here for the next one and, and for Hungary. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not the most pleasant thing in the world, but you know, better than spreading the disease around, isn't it?
0: Yeah, you won't have any arguments on that. Uh, Scott Mitchell like myself you've also been working remotely. See, this has been an interesting weekend and one of the things you've been getting into a lot is uh, some of the the anti-racism campaigning Lewis Hamilton's been doing. Obviously that was a that was a big story. You've written about it, lots of social media interaction. So that's been an unusual but important subplot for all of F1 and yourself this weekend, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be something that ends with with this weekend. Um, but I would say that it's placed in the spotlight in terms of being one of the main storylines. I think this is probably as good as it's going to get. And I I don't say that because I think F one is going to suddenly forget about it entirely. I think they're going to. I mean, they're really committed to to their diversity task force and their foundation to. Uh, which will primarily fund apprenticeships and scholarships for underrepresented groups in in Formula 1. So this will happen. Lewis Hamilton's going to carry on fighting the good fight as well and, and we're not going to we're not suddenly going to stop caring, but just from a from a visual point of view, you know, our drivers going to be debating whether to take a knee before the start of every Grand Prix, is there going to be an end racism banner at the start of every Grand Prix? I I don't know. Uh Lewis Hamilton doesn't know speaking to him. The, this this evening he wasn't in. He wasn't entirely sure. He says he hasn't thought about it beyond this weekend in terms of a visual thing. But it, it is really important. So it it was good that there was a united front from the drivers before the race. I thought that was uh, I thought that was that was good to see. It wasn't consistent. You had some drivers kneeling, some well, most drivers kneeling, some standing. Uh, you had the, the end racism banner on the front and on the shirts of every driver except Lewis, who was wearing a black lives matter shirt. And then you had the F1, we Racers one initiative being represented as well. So it wasn't like a English premier league style. Everyone united behind the black lives matter, uh, message. But it was consistent because everyone was doing something so I think that was good I think it showed that for all of the discontent around this discussion which strikes me as mad because how can anybody be how can anybody not be anti-racist uh, th- it, there has been a lot of controversy over sort of you know what people are allowed to say and do and and what these messages get co-opted into but uh, f1 sort of went down the middle really and let people do. Do it as they saw fit, and I just think it meant that the season started with, with something off track that was, you know, is fundamentally is much more important than anything we ever see on it.
0: Yeah, and I think it's uh, in its broad meaning and message. I think we can all get behind that as uh, as an objective, and I think it's good Formula One's taking uh, taking some action. Well, let's actually get on with what happened on track, Mark. This was a weekend of Red Bull versus Mercedes. Mercedes had the raw pace advantage, certainly and it won the race, and everyone was expecting that to happen. But this this was a bizarre race in many ways, wasn't it? Because you look at it and you think, well, Valtteri Bottas did win, Lewis Hamilton could have won, Max Verstappen could have won, Alex Albin could have won, which is, even though it was one driver basically controlling the race from start to finish, there were loads of storylines, and it could have gone so many different ways.
1: Yeah, you, you've you just been reading my intro paragraph, the race report. Um, Someone has to. <laughs> I'm glad you do. It's good. It's not. I'm not wasting my time. Um, yeah, it was the, the the intrigue into the race was whether this um, offset strategy of um, Red Bull and Verstappen uh, could work because it was intriguing because potentially it put Verstappen on the right tyre at both phases of the race, both um, stints of the race, and the Mercedes, which is a fast, intrinsically faster car this weekend on the wrong tyre at both stages of the race, that that that's the potential that, that there was. Um, and would that be enough to allow Max to sort of, he, he would come out after the stops behind, but on the faster tyre, which, which would be well suited by then to the cooler track temperatures and the low fuel load, um, and then chasing and maybe catching the Mercs before the end. And that was how it, in theory, might have played out, but of course, we never got to find out. Max was hanging on there in third place; he was keeping them, um, keeping them in sight. Uh he's keeping Bottas. Uh, I think it was three, three and a half seconds um, behind. Uh, f- and then, yeah, the, uh, there was some sort of mechanical problem, and uh, that was that. So we never get, we never got to see that play out. And then we never got to see play out how once uh, Verstappen was out, Hamilton came, uh, having um, disposed of the other cars that were between him and Bottas, thanks to his grid penalty. Um, he was coming back at Bottas at a rate of knots. Um, we were getting quite close to when the first pit stops were scheduled and he was right with him. He was in DRS range. He was putting the pressure on. Was that uh, indicative of a, an intrinsically greater pace that he had than, than Bottas or was Bottas just controlling it? Um, they both give their own versions of, uh, of that question, after the race and, and not surprisingly they were different uh so yeah that 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 was looking good but then the safety car the first of three safety cars um made made it so that didn't play out and everybody uh pitted at the same time so uh that then looked as always sort of set in stone a straightforward Mercedes one two with bottas ahead um but then a, a couple more safety cars later in the race. Um, the timing of it just meant that the Mercs were just past the pit entry when, when every when, when everybody else was able to pit. So, Albon got himself onto a, a set of uh, softs, which were going to be obviously a lot faster at this stage than the old mediums on the Mercs, and he had to do it like straight away. He had to do it soon, and uh, yeah, he got. Uh, Well, it was a racing incident between him and Hamilton at Turn 4, which uh, ended up with him spinning into the the gravel and rejoining at the back. So that was that, really. And then it was to the Mercs, are they going to be able to hang on? Because there was a a real uh, reliability issue on both cars. And so there was a scrap just behind, potentially for the win, which was involving involving about half the field at one point. Um, So, yeah, it was fantastic.
2: I just need to pick. Ta- uh, oh, I almost called you Tabson. I just need to pick Mark up on something you mentioned there, uh, because he he called the Hamilton Albon uh, clash a racing incident. I've been on Twitter. You're not allowed to call it a racing incident. It's definitely someone's fault. It has to be someone's fault. That is the that is the vibe I'm getting over this incident.
0: <laughs> well, let's. There's loads of different things we can pick into in that race overview, but let's go with the Hamilton Albon clash first, seeing as we're there. Five-second penalty for Hamilton. They held him responsible. He was on the inside. Alvin was going around the outside. Yes, Alvin was legitimately there. Yes, he was looking destined to emerge ahead. But then Lewis's front left clipped Alex's rear rear right. Now, where do we all we all stand on it? I'll, I'll give my verdict first because it, it's a slightly fenced city. That while I see where the stewards were coming from, I think you live by the sword, you die by the sword. If you're going around the outside, there it's a downhill corner. Cars usually understeer there. That move is is very high risk. I feel that the driver making the move is taking, you know, taking their race and putting it a bit on the line with 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 making that. So I, I would say, although I see where the penalty came from, I would probably say it's a racing incident considering weighing up all those factors. What what do you think, Mark? Do you think the penalty was was correct, or would you rather let it go?
1: I think given that the stewards are obliged to apply the uh, regulations as they stand. Um yeah, it, it it qualified as a penalty, but I don't think the steward should be obliged to do that. Um I don't think it was a cynical move. Um I think yes it was a high risk from Alban and it put himself at the mercy of the other driver, who's not obliged to show many. Um but he pretty much got the move done, could maybe have um anticipated that Lewis was going to need a little bit more track width and got further over, uh, might've just been possible to avoid the contact and still pull off the move, but it is just racing. They were both sincerely, one sincerely trying to do a legitimate passing move and the other one trying sincerely to do a legitimate defense of his place. Um, and sometimes it doesn't quite work. And that's just, that's just the nature of, of racing. And if, um, if we start trying to find there must be a fault for every contact, um, which is the system that's pretty much in place with these codified penalties, then it it sort of takes a bit of the you know the, the improvisational joy out of, of of the craft.
2: Yeah, I think it's. I think we're at a point now where um, in this world where it feels like there always has to be some blame apportioned. Then, yeah, I guess. I guess it's a penalty for for Hamilton because he is the um, well, he's not the aggressor in because he's not launching the attack, but he's the one who ultimately hits the the right rear quarter of Albon's car. And a lot of people seem to be putting big emphasis on the fact that it was a quarter to quarter hit rather than side by side. But I don't like that we're in this position that Mark's described, where it fit, where you have to say, "Oh, well, you know, it's more his fault than the other person's." It's like it's just a racing incident. That is the definition of a racing incident because you have someone launching it around the outside, and you have a car on the inside that has to abide by the laws of physics. So unless there is concrete evidence that Lewis basically either kept it on the kept it on the the throttle or lifted off the brakes and did something to actively instigate running wide into Albon, I don't see what he's meant to do there. He can't disappear from the inside of the corner. The car's going to wash out wide. And while there's not a car's width between... Um, Alban and the edge of the circuit. There is a car's width between Alban and the edge of the curb in terms of the, the the where the curb goes into the gravel. So he could have been a car width wider and still had two wheels on track. So there was more room for, for for Alex to to use. I have a great deal of sympathy for him. I thought it was a I thought it was the right thing to do in terms of launching an attack there and then. You could argue he could have waited, but we know that's not what he's about, and I don't think Max Verstappen would have waited either. So I don't have a problem with that. But sort of as you said, Ed. Live by the sword, die by the sword. If you're going to go for it, you need to be uh, at least happy to take on the risks of it and know that there's a car on the inside that's going to come across.
0: I would argue that maybe Max wouldn't have, have made that particular non-percentage play move because I think he might have remembered what happened in China a few years ago when he rushed his pass on uh, on Lewis Hamilton and went off and, and lost a, a win and Daniel Ricciardo took it. But I, 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 It's a real shame for Alex Albon because I thought he was doing really well. Um, he was in the other spec Red Bull. They haven't, they haven't yet decided whether that that floor and nose arrangement is going to be be used regularly, whether the new one or the old one. But he was on a different spec. Christian Horner said it was more about uh, the 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 feel of the car the balance of the car the characteristics rather than outright performance but Albon did really well and remember it was in Austria last year where Pierre Gasly was really poor in the other Red Bull so the fact Albon was there and he could have won that race that's what makes me so almost frustrated because you are thinking he's really got a chance here to make his way through he still had laps left he still had some tyre Life left, although there was a premium on getting on with it, and it it, just—it was just really frustrating because it would have been fantastic. Imagine if he'd come through and taken that win, what a way to start the season Uh, that would have been. But uh, he just has to take the positives, and uh, in fact, he 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 did a did a good job, and I'm sure that the racecraft will come as experience builds. Now, we should probably talk a little bit more about this problem Mercedes had. Obviously, they talked about you know sensor concerns. They talked about the vibrations, gearbox. Now. it was interesting because Andrew Shovlin, just listening to something he was saying, he said that it was a, a build-up of electrical noise that starts to interfere with other systems. And he said that they first had this problem on Friday. It was there a few times on Saturday as well. So they absolutely knew from Friday that this was a problem uh, this weekend. What, what do you know about it, Mark?
1: Uh, yes, that it's uh, yes uh, an electronic issue, uh, more than a mechanical one. But uh, it, it, as you say, it develops as the race goes on. And well, once it gets to a certain point, the risk is that the uh, system will then just go into failsafe mode, and once it does that, you won't be able to use the gearbox. So that's it; that's game over. And it was crucially close on the car of Bottas in particular. Um, it really did look like that wasn't going to finish, and it was not that far up behind on Lewis's. It
0: did create that great bit in the race where they're both being told to keep off the kerbs and back off and neither was entirely, there were about two or three laps where they weren't entirely thrilled about doing that, which uh, which made it quite interesting. But it's nice to see a bit of vulnerability from Mercedes, you don't want to wish that on them, but they've got a very, very fast car, so we want this to be a proper competitive season, don't we? So we need Mercedes to show a little bit of weakness just to give anyone else half a chance.
2: And a bit of unreliability is a good thing because f one's sort of quite predictable in a lot of ways and on un- un- unpredictability is something that F1's got very very good even in this ultra complex engineer of uh, weeding out so that is a that is a good thing i mean toto described it uh, as uh, the sort of problem that can be an instant kill so it's the sort of basically just as uh, as you were saying it's a, it, it can just it can escalate very quickly and um, if, if it seems from what toto was saying that they were pretty they were expecting one car not to make the finish and yeah it hit Valtteri's car first and and more severely so that makes sense I mean these sort of things are indicative of how complicated these cars are because I must like I'm happy to hold my hands up when I don't understand something on the tech side and I'm listening to the two of you speak about it there and I could not tell you why like how that sort of thing can happen and how you manage it like so Throwing the question back to either of you to answer, with obviously your tech degrees, um, what it, it was obvious that it was being aggravated by the aggressiveness of the Red Bull Ring Lout. We know all about the kerbs. It's not the entry kerbs, it's the exit kerbs. They, they, the, the track Lout draws you into taking speed through the corner, using the runoff as much as possible, but the kerbs are quite aggressive. So what is it about that problem that is... Why would that be exacerbated by, by curb use? Because that was one of the main questions I saw a lot of people asking during the race.
1: Yeah, well, it just as the sensors getting vibrated around, the more it's getting vibrated, the, the, the more um, interference it's into the, the system that, that there is. And um, as it's accumulated, it, it's a problem that an accumulated one. Um, you're trying to keep it away from that threshold where it just says right. You're too close to the limit. We're going to switch it off now, which is what the system will do, and it'll stop the you know the gearbox. It'll just stick it in one gear, and that'll be it. So yeah, any anything that's um, aggravating vibration um, is is taking it closer to the the failure point.
0: It's a very esoteric and very specific problem, but Mercedes seems to be quite confident it won't be such a big problem uh, uh, next week, although it, it could still be there. So it's, uh, yeah, interesting little vulnerability there. But there's, there's so many Mercedes-related things we have to talk about because, of course, Lewis Hamilton was down in fifth on the grid because he got that very late uh, grid penalty for the, uh, the the disregarding the the yellow flag. So there was lots of confusion about that initially, the yellow flag. This was for Valtteri Bottas going off, of course, because Austria is a place where Mercedes just can't resist trying to shoot themselves in the foot, isn't it? Bottas had his off on his last Q3 run, Hamilton, four or so seconds behind, went through, set his time, and uh, initially, no problem, but then when they found this 360-degree camera, uh, he was uh, given a grid drop. So what exactly went on there, Scott? And it's probably worth explaining why the stewards seem not to look at onboard footage until Sunday morning.
2: Yeah, so basically, um, when when Bottas went off, obviously it kicked off a kicked up um, a, a load of dust, and Hamilton was coming through uh, just behind. And he, I think Lewis said that he basically he couldn't see the he couldn't see anything because of the dust, but he did see a he did see a green light. And the stewards in their original verdict said that there were conflicting signals. And they felt that it would have been unfair to punish Hamilton because there was a green light that he could see, but not a yellow one. So, you know, why slow down? But then, and the reason that basically the stewards didn't have some onboard footage from Hamilton's car to properly verify that claim from Lewis and his defense is because it looked like, so basically I think Hamilton's onboard camera was, was, was malfunctioning. Um, we, we saw it on the F1 TV service, um, which was it was just in, it was just working intermittently. It was actually doing that f- all for, all through Saturday, in, including an FP three. Um, so basically, I don't think I just think that that, that footage didn't exist. And then on Sunday morning, a, I believe it's a post production uh, sort of uh, camera and, and yeah, it's and not, it's not a live it's
0: not a live feed from the three sixty degree camera. I believe so. My assumption is I haven't checked this. Is the stewards had no idea it was on the car.
2: Yeah, so basically, um F one, I think it was, put out uh this the footage from this camera, which was the first time anyone had seen onboard footage from from Lewis's car for for the incident and you could see that there was uh you could see the yellow the the yellow signal to the left. So Red Bull basically took that straight to the stewards and said, Hang up, this is uh this is new evidence, look at it again. Then we had this, so you had this bizarre situation where I think it was an hour and 15, no, an hour and 25 minutes before the race start. Mercedes was in a steward's hearing reviewing it because Red Bull had basically used it. It's not an official protest, is it? it's a right of review or, or something like that? Um, looking at it again, and basically the steward said, with well, this new evidence, um, you can see the yellow, but the I think the confliction with a green signal was still there and it was. There, there was the dust. So it, it seems that they basically sort of took the compromise. They, they basically were, w- were willing to compromise and said, "Well, look, we're not gonna, we're not gonna delete the lap and send you to to, to temp, or we're not gonna give you like a big grid penalty uh, because it is an unusual and difficult situation. But yellow flag infringements are really serious, so we're going to give you the blanket free place grid penalty for failing to to, to slow and." So then I think we I think you had the situation and Mark's probably better to come in here and explain where there was no official verdict on Hamilton's grid penalty but you could see from you could see on the grid that he had a grid penalty because the Mercedes team was setting up in a different place.
1: <laughs> yeah, just looking looking out the window to my left I noticed the uh, uh the the pole position slot the, had in the Mercedes kit, you know, the the tools and that with them you know, in silver. Um, but the other, the other front row slot, had a, a lot of Red Bull stuff there, and that's um, that, that. Although it was another fifteen or twenty minutes before that was that was made official. Um,
0: yeah, it was it was clearly going that way. We should probably again. There's a load of directions we can been go going, but we should probably briefly cover off the whole DAS protest because the this was the second time Red Bull hauled Mercedes into the into the stewards uh, stewards room, if indeed they had a room in this uh, this closed event of a uh, of social distancing and the like. But the whole DAS system. There's been loads of talk about this. It's the the dual axis steering, whereby you can pull back on the steering wheel, adjust the the wheel settings, the, the toe settings. Now it was a late verdict that came out on uh, on Friday night. It was quite a, a lengthy verdict, but actually, despite the number of words in the stewards thing, it's actually a pretty simple thing. Broadly speaking, either the DAS system is part of the steering system, in which case it's fine, because the steering system has with it certain allowances, because you are going to change the suspension settings by applying steering lock. You will change the error characteristics, all the rules, there's de facto exemptions for the steering wheel, because if you can't point the wheels where you want to go, you can't do a lap. But if it was ruled that it was a suspension system, then the exact same system would be illegal. That that was the crux of it. So really, the stewards had to decide, is it steering system? Is it suspension? They decided it was steering, therefore it's fine.
1: Mark, do you agree with that finding? I do, yes. Um, because it didn't break any of the rules. Um, it wasn't what... Whoever wrote those rules envisaged when they wrote them, but that doesn't matter. That's that's not the, the game has always been about thinking outside of the box, and it was a very clever um, interpretation of the rules as they stood at that time. And to not reward that um, when you've complied with the rules but found yourself an advantage, um, is not that's that's in sporting terms, that's not fair. So they've been allowed to keep it for this year, and then this is. Nicely closed it off right at the start of the season, so it's, it's, it's no longer an issue. Uh, as of next year, you can't have it. So uh, I think this is the, um, the most satisfactory outcome, and I think it's the right outcome. And
0: actually, credit to Red Bull for doing a formal protest at the first opportunity. You couldn't protest it based on testing, it had to actually run and they had to see what they were using it for. So they protested it at the first opportunity. They made a good case that it wasn't the steering system. The stewards, I think the best thing was they they didn't only address the things that Red Bull, there was specific rules Red Bull pulled up. They also cited a load of other rules that it says, right, it's also legal on the these counts as well because it's steering. So stopping further, uh, further confusion, which I think is very, very uh, encouraging. You, Scott, were watching pretty closely how the DAS was being used. We knew it was about tyre temperature management to some degree
2: and maybe it was also going to offer a little bit of a straight line speed advantage by straightening the wheels up uh in a in a straight line but i think the sort of the, the the main assumption and all the theories did the rounds but the main assumption was that it was going to be to make the wheels track straight so that um uh not to get bogged down into it but basically so you didn't put so much load through the inside shoulder of the the tire and therefore Uh, It might help with overheating and blistering over a race stint, but it's it's actually the opposite. So speaking to a couple of people about it who have also sort of forensically analysed how it was used. So I spent basically the three hours of Friday practice glued to the onboards of Hamilton and Bottas, looking at exactly when they used it and where. And it was always used on outlaps and prep laps, um, and it was used on obviously on the run up to turns three and down to turn four because they're the longest straights but it was also being used between um you know between turns five and six and then it was being used towards the the penultimate corner so it was fascinating just seeing it being used for just you know two seconds, not just a run up to the to the straight and it's just all about moving it the the front wheels from from, from toe out to i what I think is past the point of neutral and to 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 tow in and just regulate the tyre temperature in a different way work it in a different way and I asked the the two drivers after qualifying when they uh, dominated qualifying can you feel that effect on track so what not so much what I don't mean when you activate the dash can you sort of feel it do something different I mean when you then go to start your lap can you feel that it's had an impact, or is it the sort of thing that's buried in all the data? And they both said emphatically, "It is something that, that that makes it that makes a difference." And it might even be something that they get a bit more from. You know, Lewis and Valtteri both said that there's a bit more potential there because they haven't used it that much and there's still a bit to understand. So uh, I, I'm I'm really curious, and I would urge anyone who does have access to F1 TV or or or, or can watch the onboards, like just, just watch it. for Go on board for qualifying or something because, first of all, it's fascinating, and second, it's just—I watched it with a genuine. I'm not a Mercedes fan, obviously. I'm, I'm 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 biased, but I did have a smile on my face every time I saw it engaged because it's something weird to see, and it's just quite cool to see some like visual ingenuity and innovation like that because it's so—it's just bonkers, really, in 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 its basic principle. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's just a brilliant idea. And of course, that was their second kind of attempt at it because the FIA Technical Department advised that the original one, which was lever-actuated rather than in the steering wheel, wasn't legal because then, of course, it's not on the steering wheel, not part of the steering system. So that was probably their thinking there. I doubt they expected uh, Mercedes would come up with this. But yeah, I imagine we'll get into the DAS a bit more on the Gary Anderson F1 Show podcast. So if you want more on that, subscribe to that. Let's actually talk about the man who won the race, Valtteri Bottas. This is a driver who... Had a he kind of bounced back last year after a very difficult second half, in particular of the year before. You know he's talking about winning the world championship. He's got the most tough possible challenge of beating Lewis Hamilton in the same car. Great start for Bottas, though, isn't it? Even though he had the little mistake at the end of qualifying, even though the race was perhaps not as straightforward as his effectively start to finish victory from pole suggested. This is exactly what Bottas needed, uh, isn't it, Mark? Just to get off the get off the mark with a win.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's always been a, a good track for him, and it. Um, I think it would have been psychologically difficult for him had he been beaten here by Hamilton on what's one of his, on what one of Bottas's good tracks. <clears throat> and it was it was a lucky win. And in some ways, you could argue that his spin in his final Q three lap was actually what bought him the win because it was what um, gave Lewis the the penalty ultimately, but. You know, he, he was he was there or thereabouts, and he was very calm and composed, and had great performance. So, yeah, it was it was it was, it was a great start for him, and it very much um, sort of rubber stamps his credentials as a, a genuine contender for the title, um, especially with uh, you know the the uncertain number of races we've got um, to to get an early win on the board is, uh, yeah, it's a crucial advantage.
2: I thought it was quite useful to to see how, how Bottas handled that immediate pressure from from Lewis, because uh, obviously this this wasn't a conventional race, and by the end, uh, it, it got to the point where Lewis had dropped back and then obviously caught him back up and hounded him to the flag because of his penalty. But I can't think of a Bottas win under that sort of sustained pressure. Austin last year, but Lewis was obviously in, I've won the title, I'm the champion mode. I don't think we've seen Bottas win a race in a fight against Lewis when they're both, you know, going absolutely at it because there's a title on the line. And the first part of this race, I thought we were going to get that. And obviously we didn't because Lewis didn't start where he should have started. But I've, I, I, I think... I I think that Bottas can't be marked down for that because ultimately that's always that's out of his control. He can't decide whether or not there is a straight fight to happen between him and Lewis and all Valtteri can do is is make the most of what's in front of him and he he put himself in that position by acing the first run in in qualifying and, and putting it on par with the track that he likes and yeah I just think as as Mark said this was uh this was a really good bit of of Bottas doing the business and acing it when it mattered so that he can put his best foot forward. And as he said to us this evening, the dream is very much alive.
0: Do we think Mercedes maybe missed a trick by not ordering Hamilton past Bottas right at the end there for the last few laps? Because he crossed the line 0.689 behind Bottas. So Bottas, who, who said it's not his fault Lewis has got a penalty, but had, had he been ordered to let Lewis go, Hamilton certainly could have prevented Lando Norris beating him and maybe even Charles Leclerc. Was that a mistake? Does anybody think? I, I was slightly surprised they didn't do that given what was at stake because that's the difference between second and fourth. It's, it's not insignificant.
1: Yeah, I think it was just a general reluctance to do it because of how it would have been perceived. They are very, um, you know, it- attuned to that um, given the Controversies that've been between the drivers and the paddlers gone right back to the the Rosberg years. Um, they want to, you know, play it straight, and uh, I think there was, you know, a little bit of room for ambiguity there if, if they'd if they'd let Lewis pass to get his five seconds over the uh, whoever was in third, whoever would ultimately be in third. Um, and Valtteri had had a problem. Lewis might've ended up pulling more than five seconds out on Valtteri as well. So that, that would have been unfair too. So I think they they were trying to do it in in a, a fair way, but without um, unfairly compromising Bottas's race because it wasn't, it wasn't Bottas's problem. Um, having said that, Valtteri didn't seem in any hurry to um, go really quickly. So Lewis could pull out that gap as well. So, you know, um, <clears throat> all's fair in love and war
2: i think uh, T- toto mentioned didn't he the, the the prospect of that uh that that situation where if, if bottas can't keep up with hamilton he can't be let past and um then you get into a really potentially messy situation where you're trying to orchestrate it and you know if lewis does build that 5 second gap is he going to adhere to a team order to back off and let valtteri pass if if he's um if he's well clear of the the cars behind and he's pulled miles clear of Bottas as well, I I, I think in that situation that's a it's a very difficult thing to ask. And the other thing that Toto mentioned, which I don't really think was a big risk, but he mentioned as well that I guess it's in the context of the cars having the problem and having to manage their pace, and also the and the chasing cars behind being on fresh tyres. But he said, what happens if you put Lewis in front and then Valtteri? Sort of gets reeled in a little bit by Leclerc, Leclerc and Norris because they're on fresh tyres, and suddenly Bottas is in a position where he can't—he either has to push and then ex- exacerbates a potential reliability problem, or he doesn't push and he potentially gets overtaken. I'm not saying that would have happened. Toto said it was a—it was a part of it, and he said that there was an, init- an initial discussion, and ultimately it was just too complicated. It would just been too messy to get involved in that sort of switch.
0: It certainly simplified the uh, the whole scenario. Let's move on to Ferrari. Charles Leclerc finished second from seventh on the grid. We weren't very upbeat about Ferrari, but only 2.7 seconds behind at the chequered flag, somewhat distorted by the uh, by the fact there were multiple safety cars, including a very late one. So, Scott, does this mean that Ferrari's better than we thought, or is Ferrari actually just not very good? Charles Leclerc did say that was one of his best races, after all.
2: Yeah, and uh, I think uh, Benotto, Vettel and Leclerc all said, after the race that this didn't prove that their car's better in race trim than it is in qualifying i think the circumstances of the race went in their favor um i think the the qualifying adv- disadvantage if they were a second off maybe i don't think they're necessarily a second off in the race but it, as a general rule it does compress in, in in the race anyway uh but i think the, the so so if there may be Half a second off, or six tenths off a lap in in the race. That doesn't mean that their car's better in the race because they're still struggling around the racing points and the Mac- and the McLarens. And uh, in qualifying, that was the fifth fastest car, and it didn't really look like they 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 were like bottled up behind the the McLarens and the racing points in terms of were clearly faster, but just couldn't find a way past. It, it seemed a little bit like that was their sort of natural. Position, but it was just, you know, a, a well-executed race by by Leclerc and you know proper feistiness when it mattered, and he made the difference, didn't he? Because whereas he managed to fight his way to a massively unlikely podium through some good fortune, Vettel was uh, Vettel was much further down the order because of yet another spin in battle.
0: And obviously, Ferrari have got a significant aero upgrade. In fact, a different aero direction for the Hungar in the third race of the season. We didn't talk about that in our preview podcast because they didn't talk about it until after we'd recorded that. But Mark, how confident are you that Ferrari can make a big step with, with that? Because it's asking a hell of a lot for that to magically make the car enough of a step forward for it to
1: be a serious factor for wins on merit. I'm not very confident. I think um, it'll be little little step changes for the rest of the season. And variation according to uh, track characteristics, uh, it's clearly a long way off. Um, I don't think it's all aero. I I think uh, the the aero is affected by uh, the optimum aero, the the trade-off between downforce and drag, the optimum level of that, that changes according to how much power you've got. And um, they're clearly struggling for power. And when you look, you divide the um, Red Bull ring into the three sectors. The first one is the power sector, and the middle one is the flowing one. And the uh, the, 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 the third sector is basically the last two corners, so just sort of medium speed. Direction change. Um, Ferrari was twice as far off in the power sector as it was in the flowing sector. And when you looked at the onboard of the, <clears throat> the the this car and last year's car, this car is significantly quicker through the corners. And Leclerc was saying after the race here, he said, "Well, the, the only the only strength it has really is is through the corners, um, but it it you really you really struggle to." Either be able to overtake anyone or um, to defend yourself, because so y- the only way you can do it is some really aggressive late dives down the inside to take advantage of its its, its greater cornering grip of compared to the cars around it. Not compared to the Merc or the Red, Bull, just compared to the cars around it on the where the, the child was racing. So, yeah, I think um, fundamentally it's uh, it's the whole package that's uh, lacking. And it's the car that went from being comfortably the fastest through the speed traps last year was our 19th and 20th through the speed trap this year.
2: Yeah, I had a look at the the speed the speed trap figures in uh, after qualifying, and just I, I looked at a few different ones because I didn't want to just get misled by one particular point of the track where there might have been, you know, a favorable toe or or something. So just had a look at everything across from, from qualifying last year. And it's, it's, it's stunning as, as Mark says, you go from the fastest to the, to the slowest. And, you know, last year through, through the speed trap last year, the, the Ferrari was six kilometers an hour up on the average across the whole field. And this year it was, it was five KPH down on the average, and it was thirteen KPH down on itself from from a year ago. And if you do if you do a comparison, for example, uh Hamilton and Bottas were uh three two or three KPH up this year, which could be the you know the difference there could it could easily be, you know, a lot of particularly strong toe or or the direction of the wind or or something, and obviously the whatever natural gains Mercedes has made in that time. So it's 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 pretty stunning and as 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 Mark said the performance looks like it's there in the corners. So the easy conclusion to draw, and there will be a piece on, on the race.com uh, detailing this as of Monday morning. Um, the easy conclusion to draw is therefore that this car's got the downforce that Ferrari wants, but it's just really draggy. But obviously the the elephant in the room, and it's something that definitely annoyed Toto Wolff when it was put to the Mercedes boss on, on, on Saturday, is that last year Ferrari's engine was massively under scrutiny and this is the first competitive official Grand Prix weekend since extra efforts over the winter to make sure that there is no potential for wrongdoing on the engine side and it's nowhere and you can't say that that's purely down to to the engine because for example in the 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 point of measurement uh, the Red Bull Ring that measures the fastest, so it's not on the actual speed trap itself. I think it's intermediate one is where they have like the highest speed trap uh, speed, top speed registered, and that's topped by Ferrari engine Alfa Romeos. So regardless of what they're doing in terms of drag levels, if the engine's not great, that car's not going to be at the top of uh, uh, of that list. So I'm sure the engine has played a part. I, I think the engine's played a part, but I think it's predominantly uh, a-, a car problem rather than the engine one.
0: Yeah, a lot of work to be done for Ferrari, and of course, talking of Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel finished tenth after his clash with Carlos Sainz. Uh, Mark, we've uh, lost count of how many times you've talked about, and all of us have have talked about Sebastian Vettel having a bit of a racecraft blunder.
1: Yeah, it does seem to happen in moments of high tension for him. Um, it, this, this, just, I don't know. It was a funny when you when you look at it. it it was just like um a rookie error. He, he almost realized he was going to hit him and, and almost was trying to spin it to avoid having having the accident um yeah just it very messy just doesn't seem clear headed somehow not not is it's not it's difficult to put your finger on exactly what it is that's causing this it's 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 going back a few years now isn't it the, 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 the this pattern Um, and he's clearly not in a happy environment. Um, I wonder if that's something to do with it and just, just unsettled, just generally unsettled because this wasn't the Seb that we used to see in, well, even in his early days at Ferrari, let alone his Red Bull days. Yeah. he had a few errors, same as most drivers do, but it wasn't he wasn't error riddled as he has been these last few seasons and you just think oh it's just a wave of um not probability but just something he's going through and he'll come out the other side of it but we're still waiting and it's been it's been a long time now so you've got to begin to question what what's going on
0: yes and and no matter what people say about his racecraft in, in the past it this has got to be a much, much bigger problem. It's happening with alarming frequency at the moment. So he, needs to sort of, he just he just got sucked into that situation. Should have seen it coming a mile off. Like you say, a, a rookie era, very frustrating. Of course, earlier in the weekend he had he had confirmed or given away the fact that Ferrari told him he wasn't wanted. They tried to present it as a uh, as a not being able to reach agreement between them. I seem to remember you, Mark Hughes, writing a story about that in May, I believe, after the uh, thing. So we, we've talked about that situation before. That wasn't uh, certainly wasn't news to you, but yeah. We were hoping to see a revitalised Sebastian Vettel, but that's uh, not a, not a great start to him. And now all this did help Lando Norris to be on the podium, his first F one podium. Really interesting circumstances for that because he had to deliver the fastest lap on the on the very last time round, just to pip Lewis Hamilton by uh, a couple of tenths. I think it was in the end. I was really impressed with Lando Norris. He did a fantastic job in in qualifying and you know a very very good job in the race it wasn't actually that straightforward a race for him it wasn't as if he started third and and just finished third i i think he's he's made a really really good start to this second season this is exactly the kind of thing i was wanting to see from from lando norris
1: yeah i think he was the star of the weekend for me um he just delivered in qualifying delivered in the race and to do what he did on the last lap you know you you've got to get that fastest lap and you've got to get that time clawed back it didn't look didn't look as though he was Going to do it on the penultimate lap. He was. He looked too far behind to uh, get close enough to Lewis to uh, be ahead after after Lewis's penalty. And um, just just to deliver like that uh, was deeply impressive. It's a sort of thing that you know a Senor or a Schumacher might have. You you would have been very impressed if they'd done it. It was a just a flawless performance from the whole weekend. Over delivered. Definitely over delivered.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I think he, I think that Schumacher centre comparison is perfectly entitled. Uh, you're perfectly entitled to give. And if you look in the coverage, in fact, which was good, uh, good, uh, production, they, they had the live gap from, from Norris, uh, shown uh, in the timing. So you could see him just in those last few corners trying to do it. I think it, it went right down to the flag, basically, whether he'd make that. So yeah, just, just fantastic start for him. And Carlos Sainz backed him up well in fifth. Carlos wasn't especially happy with the, the, the car a little bit unstable in some of the faster corners. He was finding, but uh, he's going to have a really, really tough rivalry with Lando Norris. He had the better of them last year because he was all round fantastic last year. He was the more rounded driver, but I think fundamentally Lando Norris might be slightly quicker. In fact, I wrote a piece to that effect. So if Norris can keep delivering at something approaching this this sort of level, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic for them. And I was surprised, Scott, to see mclaren's race pace compared to the the racing point sergio perez obviously ended up six he had a five second penalty for speeding all in all a bit disappointing for racing point of course large stroll retired with uh with a problem and yeah a sixth place just wasn't what racing point went to austria to to get was it
2: no it's indicative of the amount of uh hype and expectation around that team since pre-season testing uh that uh, sixth place is so disappointing because last year that would have been a that would have been a great result but we were expecting them to lead the class b fight to the point of uh, maybe even sniping a, a underperforming ferrari and when ferrari looked as bad as it did on friday it's definitely looked as if uh racing point was going to be properly in the mix i think it was sergio perez ended the day third but and even if you discount uh, even if you count the fact that, that the the rebels were were discounted because of their own issues, and maybe and Max Verstappen would have got in ahead and been right behind the Mercedes, Perez was, you know, you'd have put money on him finishing in in the top five. And there was a point in that race where I thought he was going to be on the podium, um, but it just it just didn't happen that way. And the 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 the, the manner in which McLaren was able to to to, to attack and Norris was able to do what he did. I really liked the Norris move on Perez as well, because I think at that point, Perez had just been given a time penalty. Lando wasn't to know that. I don't know if McLaren had told him in time. But he just proper. It was he didn't bulldoze his way through. He didn't bully his way past. But it was a good bit of aggressive driving, and it felt a little bit. I'm sure this didn't motivate him in the moment. But it felt a little bit like revenge for for getting mugged off in Abu Dhabi. Do you remember on the the, the last lap? I think it was last year. Lando was really cut up about that. He felt really stupid for being nailed by Perez. So I think was it for the final point? It was
0: all... No, it was, it, it was for basically Class B victory.
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: So so that was
2: that was something that I know really got under Lando's skin and this was the reverse of it really think he he sort of caught Perez napping it was a very aggressive move there was a bit, bit bit of bumping wheels but and then he just set off he just did everything he needed to this is why you know I'm not I'm not saying that this is what it's going to be like for the rest of the year but that sort of thing is why I think even if it doesn't have the four fastest car over one lap I think McLaren will be the class B champion team this year because it's just It's just really good. Uh, uh, It's got a really good race team operationally now, and it's got drivers that can clearly execute at the highest level.
0: I'm not going quite as far as revising my position 100% yet, but yeah, I thought Racing Point would... uh... Would would be clear in that, but it looks a little bit different this weekend. Maybe it was just a bit of underperforming. Perhaps we'll see something a little bit better next weekend because they were really quick in Friday practice as well. I think there was a there was a there should have been a podium finish really for for Perez in that race for Racing Point. It was there for them for them to take. There was uh, a bit of a sleeper hit driver who no one really talked about in Pierre Gasly, who finished seventh. Uh, the Alfa Tauri, not a stunning car. He he flirted with making it into Q three. He was he was quick all weekend. Again, we see Gasly do this quite a lot. He just does these quite nice, neat, tidy, good drives, and he's lapping. You know, he's, he's proportionally driving quicker than he was in the in the Red Bull in the first half of last season. And while you know the, the drivers behind him are a, a kind of motley selection of the delayed, or those uh, not blessed with great cars, I, I, I just thought that was a really just decent drive from Gasly. He couldn't have finished any higher than seventh. points were on the table banked them. Just a little bit of a shame for Alpha Tauri that uh, Kvyat had the problem and, and couldn't make it a double points finish. But what do you make of, of Gasly, Mark? I think that was quite a not quite a Norris-style drive, but you just look at it and think, yeah, really good job. Couldn't really have qualified or finished any higher.
1: No, you couldn't have asked them to do any better than that. The car's in a no-man's land, isn't it? It's 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 not um, part of that uh, racing McLaren-Renault um, fight. It, it, it's mm, probably two or three-tenths shy of that But it's clear of the Alphas and the Haas and the Williams. So, yeah, I think he's probably going to have a few races where all he can do is that. So it's not the greatest advert. It's not the greatest shop window for his talents um, as he's trying to sort of bounce his way back up the ladder again. Um, But, yeah, he did a good, solid job. And he had more or less had the edge on Daniel the whole weekend.
0: Yeah, and he uh, he beat Esteban Ocon in the Renault. Obviously, Renault had a bit of a mixed weekend. Ocon started a bit further down the grid than he should have done. He didn't get a toe in, in Q two. And in fact, I asked him about this. Esteban admitted he's still there's still a a reasonable amount more to come from him. Obviously, he's had a long time out of uh, out of racing, basically a year and a half uh, because he sat out last season. We know how good he is, but slightly strange weekend for Renault, isn't it? A bit of a it's quite hard to say whether that's a I mean, the results, not not good, but. In terms of performance, there were some encouraging signs and there were some disappointing signs. There were times when Ricardo was lapping very, very quickly on the weekend. So it just feels like Rudo, if they can find a sweet spot with that car, maybe there's a bit more in there. What do you think, Mark?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be, if it has um, a good weekend, I think it's going to be right in there pitching, you know, with Racing Point and McLaren. Um, but uh, yeah, Esteban had a poor weekend, really. I mean, we've got to make allowances. For length of time he's been out of any any car um but big chunk off daniel really big chunk off daniel um <clears throat> and he you know you would be very aware of that himself and uh, he'll be um i'm sure he won't be as far off uh the, 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 this coming weekend.
0: Yeah, we know the the pace and performance is in there, and he'll be he'll be wanting to beat Ricardo, not uh, not be playing the, uh, the second fiddle in in that team. And then Giovanazzi finished ninth. Uh, that was a pretty good effort from from him. I've I've been critical of him in the past because I found him a bit frustrating. And although he seemed to be decisively quicker than Kimi Raikkonen going into the race, then he had that period in the race where he was slower, and Kimi was ordered past him. But ninth place for Giovanazzi and then Alfa Romeo again. Not much he could do there. He he gave his best in 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 racing and uh I suppose Scott you could say Giovinazzi beat Vettel so uh that that's a a box tick for Ferrari
2: I mean I I think this that that was this felt like one of uh, Antonio's more complete weekends he he's a he's such a frustrating driver because he's such a lovely guy and he's one of those that you 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 can see the abilities there and that they're so affable off track You, you do want him to do well but he's just as you've often we've often talked about, haven't we? When it comes to Giovinazzi, he he's just got a stealth error in him somewhere. There's just at some point he will trip up, and fair play to him because the, the, that Alpha does not look like a particularly competitive machine. And uh, on a chaotic uh, on a chaotic day when it was easy to lose your head, he kept his and and I think he 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 got what he deserved, which was a, a, cu- a couple of points and a. A start to the season that was probably more positive than Alpha would have expected after Friday practice, and certainly after qualifying, when they were um, they'd have uh, they'd have done well to to to, to beat George Russell's Williams.
0: And also, Giovinazzi managed to keep four wheels on his wagon, unlike Kimi Räikkönen. Not that that was the driver's fault that put uh, Räikkönen out of the race at the second, third, uh, no, the second restart. It was, wasn't it? That then instantly caused that next, uh, next safety car period. But there, there are a few decent joys in this part of the field. I thought, all things considered, Nicholas Latifi. Did a pretty decent job in the race, eleventh place. Obviously, it was attritional. He was the sort of he was effectively last, but he was in the Williams in his first Grand Prix. He had a crash uh, earlier in the weekend. That was on Saturday morning, wasn't it? He had his uh, shunt at Turn One. Okay, he wasn't at George Russell's level, but that's a pretty high level. So good, good for Latifi, and also I think good for George Russell as well that he managed to at least sort of go go racing, uh, go racing this weekend. So I, I guess Mark, this does confirm that the Williams is good enough at least to be a bit of a factor in that stragglers group at the back.
1: Yes, which is a relief because on Friday it looked like maybe it wasn't. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's. I think it had George got the toe that he was after, <clears throat> it was feasible he was going to get it into Q2. Um, so yeah, looking forward to seeing how that develops as we go on.
0: Yeah, I think hopefully there will be days when he can get points. The only thing that's probably a little bit sad for them is he ended up retiring from the race and perhaps this was a day where he could have got points. He was holding off Sebastian At one stage, uh, Sebastian Vettel was given the radio message that they go to plan C if he couldn't get past George Russell, which uh, was probably a slightly... Uh, unpleasant radio message to hear that he might have to try and strategy his way past a uh, uh, Williams so uh, that yeah, uh, so, solid weekend for, for Williams they could keep a Ferrari behind uh, on merit for a bit uh, I also want to give a bit of an honourable mention to Kevin Magnussen actually he had that brake problem that put him out of the race but he was actually putting together a really nice race in that in that has. The, the car's race pace wasn't too bad Grosjean's car he talked about having some problems right from the start even going back to the reconnaissance laps the car didn't feel right uh, so it didn't go well, there, but Magnussen, I mean, he'd have finished in the points if, if his car had uh, had held up, which is all you can really ask. So I think, you know, he's, he's one of those drivers. Sometimes he has these race weekends where you think, yeah, that's just really strong. Doesn't do anything, doesn't really put a foot wrong uh, and, and and a good effort. So uh, it would have been nice for Haas to be rewarded uh, with something there, I would, uh, I, I would say. But overall, Scott Haas down there, struggling with Alfa Romeo and, and Williams. I, I think we can safely say Haas isn't going to be. Having a, having a season where it's class, where it's qualifying at the front of class B all the time.
2: No, and and this is normally a circuit that they go quite well at at least over one lap, right? So uh, tricky to tricky to see. I mean, the the good thing about the double header is that a team like Haas that has had a bit of a an underwhelming weekend is if they've if they've gone back through the data by Thursday or Friday and they're like, right, okay. That was just a banker weekend. We needed to just sort of get everything get everything out in the open and actually see what we're working with. Now let's work out how much faster we can make the car. I guess it's not impossible, the way the midfield is, for them to to, to step up a couple of places. But yeah, looking at what we've seen this weekend, I'd be surprised if that team's sniping for Class B victories anytime soon.
0: Yeah, a long way off and they've not got any upgrades coming. In fact, I checked with Gunter again today as to whether as, as they're getting closer to knowing what the calendar will look like, whether they can switch all that, that development back on, not just making the parts, but also the R&D work, the aero testing, all that kind of thing, is is uh, they describe it as marginal levels being done on that. So that that's that's worrying for Haas, because it's not as if they've got a load of bits to throw at the car that will hopefully improve. They say they're going to try and make the best out of what they've got and improve it that way. There's an upside there to come, I've no doubt, but yeah, I think it could be another... I was going to say long, hard season. It could be another hard season for the Haas drivers, but at least uh, at least it's not going to be quite as long as uh, last year, whatever happens. But circling back round, Mark, to what we've learned from this, it, it depends. it's a bit of a cure it's egg of a weekend, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you look at it and think, yeah, the Mercedes was a lot quicker in, in qualifying. The Red Bull wasn't really there. But then you think, well, actually, Verstappen could have won that race. Albin could have won that race. So that's quite encouraging. So where where do you fall on 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 this do you think that this is going to be a a particularly tough season for Mercedes or do you think it's just confirmed that actually yeah they're they're the class of the field again and it's going to take it's going to take a bit of a an, an unlikely series of events for for one of those two not to win it particularly with Verstappen already having a zero against his name
1: yeah Mercedes clearly is still the favorites um and they've in terms of performance they've hit the ground running with a a well-conceived, well-balanced car that's it's, it's, it's ready for extremely high performance straight from the off. And uh, the Red Bulls hit the track as a car with potential, but uh, had awful balance problems on a the Friday. They tuned those out for Saturday. They're still working, they're still making quite big changes to the car. It had a big uh, new nose and new front wing on um, Max's car. So they're still trying to understand it and but even with it in that state, it was still good enough to give Merck a little bit of you know, a little bit of pressure and who knows how it would have panned out if they'd been able to uh if you know if Max had kept going and how that strategy might have worked. So encouraging in that sense. Um they're definitely not the quickest. They're definitely the second quickest. Um but I think there's probably um, a, a chunk more to come and we've seen this many times from Red Bull haven't we, they, they start a bit iffy um, but they by, you know, part way through the season they're usually right there uh, so expect to see a similar pattern, but yeah, the Mercedes is possibly fragile, we've learned that we've learned that it might be a little bit fragile because it was, apparently it wasn't just the um, the gearbox sensor problem there were other components on the car that were Really, you know, a little bit marginal for the demands of this track, which is quite uh, quite a savage track on the car in terms of suspension and wings and things. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, possibly a little bit fragile, but it's clearly the class of the field in terms of pace.
0: It's, it's difficult to see Mercedes not winning the championship. Ultimately, it's still very early days, though. Scott, we've got another Austrian Grand Prix this weekend, technically speaking, the Styrian Grand Prix, but it's at the same circuit. Unique set of circumstances never before in the history of the world championship where we had two races at the same circuit in the same year for points let alone uh, on back-to-back weekends people were worried about a repeat but it, it can't be a repeat can it because that race was so sort of specific and you know you, you could probably run that race a hundred times more and you will not get at the podium Bottas Leclerc Norris <laughs> <laughs> if if the
2: if the race is repeated next weekend and no one's going to be complaining about the the two races being identical are they um, I, I think, uh, I think whatever happens next weekend, I think that I think we've we've got very lucky because the the Rebel Ring is brilliant for this sort of thing because it has a beautiful mix of uh, of factors that just make it a great place to 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 have a race and and it's not a coincidence that it throws up good races without needing like uh like rain or or something like that. And that's that. That is a that is a, a credit to to the venue. So going back there next weekend, I've got no problem with that. I think even a fairly straightforward race, given how close the Mercedes drivers are, and we're going to have a pumped up Lewis Hamilton trying to fight back. We're going to have Bottas trying to build on his first win. So if it's a Mercedes fight again, bring it on. We didn't see that today, so let's let's see it next weekend. I don't have a problem with that. The bit that worries me, and is uh, is of a massive concern to me, is the the sanity of people like Mark because. While I love the Red Bull Ring and the surrounding area, I can't imagine it's that much fun if you can't actually go out and and enjoy it and sneak into a, to, to, to a local bar. So my thoughts and prayers are definitely with Mark at, at this moment in time.
0: He's got those COVID nineteen tests to look forward to.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got my next one on uh, when is it Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. So um, first day back at the track, straight straight up to the uh, the driving center where um, where they're doing the tests. Oh yeah. If, if you could film
0: it, I'm sure that uh, the readers of the race would love to watch a little social media video of you. You're going through that. That's that's a task for you to. Well, um, you have you seen the
1: you've seen the Sergio Perez one where he's clearly in a lot of pain as the the
0: guy sticks. Yeah, he's not. Your, yeah, he's not happy with that. You see when it's when it's in there, he's just sat there thinking, take it out, take it out, <laughs> yeah. take it out but I don't want to react, take it, out and then it's just that relief. Yeah, mm. horrible. Yeah, that's, that's going to be. That's how it is in five days. That'll be the
2: sequel because I think, uh, pe- not sure if people would have seen, but if you want to get a bit of an idea of what it was actually like to be working from the track at a remote, uh, remotely attended Grand Prix for everybody else, there is a video on the Races YouTube channel where where Mark talked through the big moments. Maybe that's the sequel to that video, Mark, is you having to film yourself uh, having something shoved up your nose.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think um, we'll, we'll probably come up with something better than that if we, we think hard. I don't
2: know. I know Glenn Freeman quite well. That sounds right up his alley.
0: <laughs> the thing is, Scott, we're mocking Mark, but it's not going to be long before we're going through the same thing, is it? So uh, we, sh- we should probably be a little bit careful because we're going to uh, be subjected to this in the not too distant future.
2: No, that's true. I've got an antibodies test uh, coming up in a few days. That doesn't uh, get you out of it. you still got to do it. Uh, yeah, but that's uh, I'm not even looking forward to that and I think that's just a normal blood test and I because I, I hate needles. So um I I I really don't I'm really not looking forward to it at all. That's probably why I'm laughing about it so much, because it's just it's horrifying me to the point where I just don't want to imagine that it's real and it's gonna to happen to me.
1: Come you.
0: all yeah. this sort all this sort of thing is necessary. Uh well, we've we've talked enough. Mark's gotta get on with his uh race analysis. I've got to get on with my driver ratings. Scott's probably gotta write some things. I don't know what you're doing. You're writing about all sorts of things, but there'll be loads of stuff I've on the race's ke- website. I've got a kebab turning up soon, so that's a, that's a very very uh, very very good strategy I, I, I approve of that uh, but if you want to see what Scott's writing we don't know it will be on the, the racecom and don't forget the hyphen along with marks race analysis my driver ratings we'll have videos coming out in the coming days the Gary Anderson f1 show podcast as I mentioned says loads to read there so many storylines in that race we could have gone on for three hours in this uh, in this podcast but we thought we'd, we'd spare you that amount of uh, that amount of noise and try and keep it to a, around an hour so do head to our website and we'll be back for the Styrian Grand Prix next weekend with our post-race review, hopefully sometime in the small hours of Monday or even late on Sunday night, if you're lucky.